0: To make a brief connection with the children in the congregation right now, as Pastor Jesse said, we have these worship notes. They're out, available in the foyer. See these? Well, today I'm, I might be using a couple words that you might not know, kids. I might be using a word, and I'd like you to write those words out so that you can ask your mom and dad what they mean. And uh, during the sermon, I'm going to pause and give you one specific word. So be listening for that word. Okay? Well, it's a joy to be with you this morning. I'm very thankful for this church, thankful for what God is doing, thankful for this Christmas season, thankful for these wonderful decorations, and I'm glad to be with you this morning. We're continuing our discussion of Philippians 121. Look with me there. This is a very powerful verse, a well-known verse, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. To live as Christ and to die as gain. I've, last week I dealt with the first statement here, what it means to live as Christ. And what I argued last week was that what Paul means is that if he continues living in the flesh, if his bodily, bodily life continues, what that means for him is faithful and fruitful labor. And that is done in a spirit of, spirit of sacrifice and, and selflessness, That if Paul continues to live, that he will continue taking the gospel to the nations, and that he will act in a selfless and sacrificial way. And this week we're going to be diving into what it means whenever Paul says to die is gain. Now, at first notice, that statement kind of takes us aback, doesn't it? Oftentimes, whenever we think of death, it seems like death is not something that is gain. And even the Bible says that death is the last enemy. So how is, what is Paul saying here? How is it that the Bible can teach that death is an enemy, and yet Paul says that for the believer, death is gain? How do we understand that? So we're going to be unpacking this idea of dying is gain. And I have three points for you this morning. These points are going to be in the form of questions. So if you take notes, which I hope you do, This is going to be our first point. What is death? What is death? This is our first point this morning. What is death? Now, the notion of death is a quite large topic in Scripture. It's very large. There's a number of things that you can say about it. So I won't be saying everything today about death. But I'll just be explaining death as it fits into verse 21 in Philippians. Go ahead and turn with me to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. Verse 15. Death shows up in the very first chapters of Scripture. It looms large in every page. And then at the end, death is thrown into the lake of fire. Death is a large biblical topic. And in Genesis 2.15... God tells us what death is. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God, verse 16, commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. Why? Why should Adam not eat of the fruit? For because in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Here is the first reference to this notion of death. God tells Adam that if he eats, if he disobeys his word, that Adam will die. Now go to Genesis 3.19. Genesis 2.17 is kind of a a prophecy, a a prediction of what will happen if Adam eats. And then in Genesis 3.19, we have the actual fulfillment of that prediction. This is God talking to Adam. By the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. So in between the verse in chapter 2 of Genesis and the verse in ch- this verse in chapter 3, Adam and Eve eat of the fruit. And in Genesis 3.19, God is condemning Adam for what he did. And the judgment the consequence of Adam eating of the fruit is death. Now, in our day and age, oftentimes death is seen as something natural, that it's just something natural that happens in this life. And to a degree, there's a degree of truth in that. Our lives, our bodies give out life. Biologically, we die. However, the Bible interprets death not naturally, but supernaturally. The Bible puts death within the framework of man's relationship with God. And death is not natural. Death is an intervention, something that came into creation. Creation existed without death, and one day there will be a creation where there is no death. So death is something supernatural. Death is not just something natural. It's a consequence of sin. It's a judgment. The reason why we die is because Adam sinned. It is a consequence that God has placed upon us. Now turn with me back to Philippians 1. So death is a form of judgment. But in verses 22 and 20 through 24, we learn that death is the separation of soul from body. There's something that happens in the human person whenever someone dies. Whenever their life, their biological life ceases, what happens is that their soul continues living on. And the way this happens, is that there is a separation of the body and the soul. Philippians 1.22 If I am to live in the flesh, Paul here is talking about his bodily life, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. So in verse 22, Paul references living in the flesh. What Paul is talking about here is if he continues living a bodily life. If his human life here on earth continues, then he will continue doing ministry. He's talking about bodily earthly life in verse 22 and also in verse 24. Verse 24 mentions, but to remain in the flesh. Paul's talking about life here on earth. But then in verse 23, he says this idea of departing. Departing and being with Christ. Now to depart here means leaving his earthly life. And it also means leaving his earthly body. Now, how does this happen? How is it that his body will remain on earth, and yet he, first person, he can depart and be with Christ? How is that? Well, the way that happens is by means of the soul. We believe that man is not just natural, he's not just physical, but man has a soul. The Bible uses different language for this, a spirit, a soul. There's an immaterial part to us, there's a part of us, That is not physical. And that's the part that Paul mentions in verse 23. That is the part that departs and goes to be with Christ. So, when we die, if you were to die today and you're a Christian, your soul would leave your body. Your body would remain here on earth, your body would be put in the ground. But your soul lives on. You live on. And the way you live on is by means of your soul. And what this highlights is in Christianity, there are two states of the future, two states of after death. One state is the new heavens and the new earth. Paul is not talking here in verse 23 about the new heavens and the new earth. Paul is talking about this notion of heaven. Paul is not talking about a resurrection body in verse 23. What Paul is talking about is this intermediate state... So in between this life now... and in between the new heavens and the new earth... which is mentioned at the end of Revelation... there is this intermediate state. And in this intermediate state... the body stays here on earth. And the soul goes to be with Christ. Now when the the resurrection comes... when Jesus returns... he will usher in the millennium... and then after the millennium... he will create a new heavens and new earth. And it is then when Christ returns that Christians will receive a resurrection body. And at that time, the souls that are with Christ will be reunited with their bodies. But those bodies will be resurrected bodies. Those will not be normal bodies. And when that soul is reunited with a body, the body will give life again. We will live once again in, in, in an embodied state. We will have bodies in the future. But in this intermediate state, what Paul is talking about in verse 23 is his desire is for his soul to go and be with Christ. Paul does have a desire for the future resurrection, but that's not what Paul is talking about here. So death, kind of summarizing what I'm talking about, death is a form of judgment upon sin, and at death, there is a separation between soul and body. If Paul were to die here, if we die right now, our bodies will go in the ground and our souls will be with Christ last point of this notion of death what is death death is the final step of sanctification death is the final step of sanctification it's the final part of the journey in the gospel what is so wonderful about the gospel is what God does is he takes curses and he turns them in to ways in which we grow in Christ For the Christian, the Bible says in Romans 8.1, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What that means with reference to death is that death for the believer is no longer a judgment of sin. There is a consequence of sin. Those still remain. Those will not be fully taken away until the next life. But what death becomes for the Christian is a means of salvation. Death is the last step in this life. And to give you a good illustration of this, one of my favorite books is The Pilgrim's Progress. Have you read this book? This is a wonderful book. If you haven't read it, it's a classic. And the story goes the story is about a man by the name of Christian. He leaves the city of destruction and he goes to the celestial city. He's on this journey. And as he goes on this journey, there are different, certain trials and difficulties that he meets. And the last trial, the last step, before he gets to the celestial city, there is a river that surrounds the celestial city. And the river is deep. And the river symbolizes death. And in order to get to the celestial city, he has to go through the river. So that's the context. Let me read part of this story to you. Now, I further saw that between them and the gate was a river, but there was no bridge to go over the river, and the river was very deep. At the side of this river, the pilgrims were very much stunned, but the men that went with them on their journey said, you must go through the river, or you cannot come at the gate. The pilgrims then began to inquire if there was another way to the gate, to which these people answered, yes, but there are only two, Enoch and Elijah, who have been permitted to tread that path since the foundation of the world. No one else shall do the same. The pilgrims then, especially Christian, began to lose confidence and looked this way and that way, but no, one could, but no way could be found by them by which they might escape the river. They nonetheless entered the water. Immediately, Christian began to sink and crying out to his friend, hopeful. Hopeful, he said. I sink in deep waters. The billows go over my head. All the waves go over me. The sorrows of death have encompassed me. I shall not see the land that flows with milk and honey. And with that, a great darkness and horror fell upon Christian, so that he could not see before him. But Hopeful responded, These troubles and distresses that you go through in these waters are no sign that God has forsaken you, but are sent to try you, whether you will call to mind that which you have received of his goodness and live upon him in your distresses. Hopeful added these words, Be of good cheer, Christian. Jesus Christ maketh thee whole. And with that, Christian broke out with a loud voice, Oh, I see him again, and he tells me, When you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and through the rivers, they shall not overtake you. Then they both took took great courage, and the enemy was after that as still as a stone, until they were gone over the river. Christian therefore found ground to stand upon and so it followed that the rest of the river was but shallow they got through the river and stood at the gates of the celestial city as John Bunyan so eloquently puts it death is the last step of the Christian journey and it can be very difficult death might be the biggest challenge you have in this life but it is the final step it is not a means of judgment upon the Christian. That judgment has been taken away. And in the gospel, it's a means of refining your faith. It can be very difficult. It can be very trying. Great fear, as Christian, it, evidence is here. But for the Christian, it is not a means of judgment for you. It is a means of your growth in Christ. But you have to go through it. You have to go through death. You have to go through the river... to to get to the celestial city. Salvation is through death. It is very hard but it is a means of our growth in Christ. It is the last step in the journey. That was our first point. What is death? Second point. Why is it gain? What is death and why is it gain? Philippians 121. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Now, how is it that Paul can say this? Why does Paul say this? Look at verse 23. My desire is to depart and be with Christ. Why? Why does Paul desire to be with Christ? For that is far better. This notion of far better is very emphatic in Greek some other translations that highlight this phrase well it could be it could say something like this for that is much more better it is much better indeed very much better far far better the idea what Paul is saying is to be with Christ is exceedingly better than to be here on earth that's the idea Now, how is it that Paul can say that? In what ways is death gain? Now, I'd like to pause here and make a theological point. Theological point. And if you're taking notes, little theologians, children, if you're taking notes, write this word. Write purgatory. Purgatory. P-U-R-G-A-T-O-R-Y. Purgatory. And I'd like to, I'd like us to pause and, and think about this notion of dying is gain in light of the idea of purgatory. Now, some of you, I think, have come from Roman Catholic backgrounds. And what Roman Catholicism teaches is that the intermediate state, there's actually four different states. This is what Roman Catholicism teaches. There's the new heavens and the new earth for the believer. There's heaven. There's purgatory. And there's, there's earth, bodily life. Okay, we, as, we as Protestants do not believe in purgatory. And purgatory is kind of like hell light. It's kind of like hell light. I've heard someone very wisely say it's kind of like a, a timeout chair. That's what, it's, that's what it's like. That's what purgatory is about. It's a holding chamber in which a person goes if all of their sins have not Been forgiven. Now, I don't know how long you have to be there. If I went there, I'd be there a long time. The idea is that you're purified from your venial sins, from the sins that are small. And I I think that's just a disaster. That is just a disaster theologically. And relating it to this passage, if I go to purgatory, I cannot say that death is gain. Purgatory does not work here. If I have to go in this next life and go in this time-out chair and be punished for my venial sins, let's say for a thousand years, to be honest, I'd rather just stay here on earth. Purgatory does not work. Roman Catholicism, if if you have a Roman Catholic background, I want you to think about that. The only way we could say this, that death is gain... is is that if, upon death, we go to be with Christ. Not to receive punishment for our sins, but to be with Christ. If purgatory is real, real, I'd rather stay here. And I imagine that you would too. But that's not what Paul says. Paul says that death is gain. And the way that it is gain relates to this idea of being with Christ. Whenever we are with Christ in heaven... That union with Him is different than the union that we have with Him on this earth. And the way that it is different is it is exceedingly better than the union with Him that we have here. To explore this idea, go to 2 Corinthians 12. 2 Corinthians 12. Surprisingly, the Bible actually says very little about heaven. It says a lot about the new heavens and the new earth. But the Bible says very little about heaven, about the intermediate state. The state where our souls separate from our bodies. But in 2 Corinthians 12, we Paul tells us of an encounter that he had in heaven. Begin in verse 2. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. Now go to verse 7. So to keep me from becoming conceited, Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh. This is an odd passage, and it's odd for a couple of reasons. It's odd because the way that Paul talks about himself in this this passage. You notice that Paul refers to himself in the third person. Paul doesn't do this elsewhere. In verse 2, he says, I know a man in Christ. So he doesn't say, I was caught up in the third heaven. He's speaking in the third person. And then Paul has this consistent refrain of... whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. What Paul is saying here... is that he doesn't know whether he was bodily in heaven... or whether he was there through a vision... or, or, or what. Paul doesn't know. Paul had this experience, though. But we get to see some of the glories of heaven... Beginning in verse 3. Notice what Paul, the word that Paul uses to refer to heaven here. He says paradise. That word, paradise, is only used three times in the New Testament. And every time, it refers to the future state. Jesus says to the thief on the cross, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Jesus uses that word. We get that word. We get this notion of heaven as paradise from Jesus. And then Paul teaches it here. And also in the book of Revelation, it's used to refer to the new heavens and the new earth. So whatever heaven is, it's paradise. It's paradise. Look at verse 4. And he, this is Paul talking, The reason why he's talking in the third person is out of humility. And he, Paul, heard things that cannot be told. Another way to translate that is that these things that Paul experienced, you can't put them into words. They're so great, so glorious, so exceedingly delightful that you can't communicate it through words. And then he says verse 4, which man may not utter. Now, I don't know what Paul means here. I don't know if Christ has put in a restriction on him that he actually, by God's commandment, cannot tell us what happened. I, I rather take it, though, that it's so, this experience is so glorious, so tremendous, that talking about it doesn't do it justice. That it's so great, there's of no use to talk about talking about it, because the experience cannot be captured with words. And then in verse seven, so to keep me from becoming conceited, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, this notion of surpassing greatness is referring to heaven. What is heaven? Heaven is surpassingly great. It's a paradise. It's a paradise that is so surpassingly great that words do not do it justice. That's what heaven is. That's what what awaits the believer upon death. Not purgatory, but paradise. Gain for the Christian. Now what does all this mean to me, Pastor? Pastor? This is my third point. What does to die as gain mean for me, for you? What does it mean for you? Go back to Philippians. Four points of application. Philippians 121. For, for to me to live is Christ and die as gain. That and there, that and is very important. The way I've been treating these two ideas is separately. But that doesn't do it justice. The way Paul deals with these two ideas is he connects them. And what we learn by this connection is that whatever situation the Christian finds himself or herself in, we have hope. We have hope. We have hope as Christians. To die, we have hope. Not to be punished for our sins, not to be forsaken, but to go to the celestial city, to be with Christ, to go to paradise, that is great hope. We have that for ourselves and we have that for one another. But also we have this hope that so long as we continue to live, we can live meaningful lives. That we have hope, not just in the next life, but in this life. We have hope right now. And what that hope is, is to live is Christ. We have meaning, we have purpose, we have fulfillment. We have joy. Not just later, but now. Christians are in a win-win situation. The second point. Look at verse 23. Paul says this, My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. What Paul says in verse 23 is that Paul wants... To die. Paul wants to die. He uses this language of departing, but to put it in really basic terms, what Paul is saying is that I desire to die and go to heaven. That's what Paul is saying. As Christians, we can come into times in our lives that are exceedingly difficult, very hard, great despair. Great discouragement, sickness, misery. These things happen to Christians. And in these times, I want to assure you that it is okay to desire death to be with Christ. It is okay to cry. It is okay to long for heaven. That is okay. That's what Paul does. Now, as Christians, we do not seek to end our lives. Paul doesn't do that. The Bible does not commend suicide. We are not to end our lives. The Bible says that our days are in God's hands, and He determines when we live and when we die. We do not take our lives, no matter how hard life can be. But it is okay to desire death to be with Christ. It is okay. Sometimes in life, the only food that we have is our own tears. And in those times, it is okay to tell Christ that you want to die. It is okay to tell Christ that you want to be with him. In fact, you should tell him that. God recognizes your feelings. Your feelings matter to him. And he is infinitely sympathetic towards you. It is okay to desire to be with Christ never act upon that desire never act upon ending your life but it is okay to desire death to be with Christ third point we must remember that the life to come is infinitely better than this life the life to come is infinitely better than this one Listen to what Jonathan Edwards says. God is the highest good of mankind. The enjoyment of Him is the only happiness with which our souls can be satisfied. To go to heaven fully to enjoy God is infinitely better than the most pleasant accommodations and pleasures here on earth, better than fathers and mothers, husbands, wives, or children, or the company of any or all earthly friends. These things are but shadows. But the enjoyment of God is the substance. These are but scattered beams, but God is the sun. These are but streams, but God is the fountain. These are but drops, but God is the ocean. God is what we need. And in this life, that relationship is hindered by our sin. But in the next, it will not be hindered. And that life is infinitely better than this one. Death is gain because death ushers us into eternal joy. Last point, built upon this third point. Don't live for this world. Do not live for this world. Do not live for the moment. Do not live for the here and now. Do not live for the pleasures of this world. There is this temptation to focus on the pleasures one can have right now without consequences, the consequences of the future. The Bible says to deny ourselves pleasure in this world. Deny ourselves sinful pleasure. And the reason why we do that is because the next is better. Infinitely better. So dear Christian and non-Christian, wherever you're at with Christ, don't live for the pleasures of this world deny yourself for greater and more glorious pleasures. We have tremendous hope as Christians. And that hope is summarized in this idea of death as gain. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the hope that we have, Father. We have hope in this life. And Father, we have hope in the next. We have tremendous hope. And Father, I pray that you would comfort us. Father, that you would keep us in in your grace. That we would not seek to have our best life now. But that we would seek to have our best life later. Father, cause us to deny our sins. To say no to temptation. And to say yes to much better, greater, infinitely better and greater pleasures of heaven. Father, we ask that you would keep us in your grace. You would lead us to live lives for the next one. And all these things, Father, be glorified in the name of Christ and by the power of the Spirit. Amen.